I am, uh, as I was working on this message, I realized that I am in a much better position now to answer questions about decisions uh, that I faced many years ago. Uh, I have a better idea now of what I want to be when I grow up, um, a better idea, and I realize that the kind of person I am is really a bit more important to God than than what it is that, you know, the profession that we might decide upon. And I can tell now which cars I bought foolishly and which were good purchases. The Chevy Suburban was a rash decision. Um, there's no question about it. Uh, and I now have a much better understanding of how much money I should have saved when I was younger. And the answer is a lot more. Um, you know, the, I, I better understand the decision on where to go to school. Moody Bible Institute gave me a very good foundation when it, and was exactly where God wanted me to start. Uh, and at Trinity Bible College, now Trinity University, was the place for me to finish my degree while still being able to be a husband, a father, a pastor. Uh, and then Bethel College, as I continued on there, it came at a time when I really needed some stretching and some broadening. And I can see those things as I look back now. Uh, you know, but the, the this whole thing about the direction of God and where to serve is much easier to see from this vantage point. Uh, the steps that God took me to bring us here, you know, to Northside instead of to the uh, Bible Church in Lansing, Illinois, that was uh, open before us at that time as well, or the uh, church in North Manchester, Indiana. Um, or, or even that, that church in California that was wondering if we would uh, consider going out there or even restarting a, a church on the northeast side of Fort Wayne. Uh, right now, it's much clearer to me than it seemed to be 28 years ago. Uh, and the challenge each one of us faces is making the best decision now before we feel we have all of the information when we're still looking forward to it, how can we make the correct decision without that benefit that seems to come from hindsight? It always is amazing to me when they when they talk to politicians or some other people on the news and they say, well, you know, now do you think you should have done such and such? Well, I would hope they learned something. To me, it's a, it's a stupid question. I don't use that word often, and question isn't the part of the word. I don't, this phrase I don't use there. Um, you know, it's a foolish question. Would you have done the same thing? I, you know, I hope you learn something as you go, as you go through it, but how do we make that decision when we're looking forward? You know, before we have the advantage of, of, of hindsight that, that, you know, we've been, we've been talking about now, how do you step into the future with wisdom and with confidence? That's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you are a gracious God. We've sung, we've been singing many songs, praises, adorations to you. We've sung many prayers this morning too. Expressing our heart, expressing our longing, expressing our joy. Well, we are grateful people. We're also confused people. We look in, in, into the, into the future and we, we look ahead and we don't even know what we're having for lunch sometimes. 
Father, how can we step into the future with confidence? We want to do that. So teach us from your word this morning. Use use your word to continue to transform us more and more into the people you would want us to be, that when we can look back after uh, 10 minutes, 10 years, we can say, God has guided me. So, Father, direct us as only you can, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Now, we're going to eventually settle in, in Genesis 23. Now, if you're gonna want, if you really want to follow along with the message, I am actually going to start back in Genesis chapter 11 and take a run up to Genesis 23 because we have to, we're gonna have to do that to be able, I was, I was reading chapter 23 as we were starting. Well, let me tell you how we got there. Ginny said, what are you doing in Genesis 23? She said, I thought you were, I, <laughs> I thought you were in Colossians. I said, well, we kind of finished Colossians and, uh, now we're in Genesis 23. I didn't miss that many, I didn't miss that many, you know, she's down in children's church today. She helps out. So I didn't miss that many. And well, here's how we got this. I started going through Genesis 10 years ago. And it was in March of 2008. And then we did 19 messages, and we looked at it under the theme, A Good Start. And we looked from the opening verses of the Bible into chapter 11 in the Tower of, of Babel there. And then we kind of paused. We picked up with it the next year in 2009. We did 14 messages going from the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 through Abraham's call and a sacrifice of his son in, in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we looked at that under the title of God and Me. And every year, you know, we've kind of thought, uh, should probably pick up that series in Genesis and we never quite got to it. Well, we're getting to it today. Um, you know, eight years, eight years, uh, nine years after we paused last time. Kent pointed out to me, that um, I'm not even halfway through Genesis after 33 sermons, uh, but we will get today. So today we're actually we're going to pick up in chapter 23 with this series and go a little deeper into Genesis. And we are going to go until uh, God seems to kind of tell me to stop um, because he's laid other areas on my heart as well that I believe he wants us to look at this year. Uh, later this year, we're going to Last year we had a series called Engage, and uh, we're going to pick up that that theme again a little later this year, and and look more at how God calls us to engage other people. We're going to, I was going to do stewardship, and then I had set it aside, and then some things happened, and came along this week where it seemed obvious to me again God was pointing us back toward uh, that area as well, and uh, the area of marriage. Um, those are some of the things that God wants us to look at, I believe. But the theme for this series is my people. And what we're going to do is looking at God's dealing with his people in this section of Genesis and uh, and seeing how God has interacted with his people and also, you know, what we can learn as we observe those interactions. Uh, you know, I remember the wisdom from a Bazooka Joe comic that I got years ago. Some of you know what Bazooka Joe is, others don't. You used to be able to buy this uh, a piece of gum, Bazooka gum, and there was a comic in there for, with Bazooka Joe, and you used to be able to get it for a penny. A penny is one of those little round copper things. <laughs> um, 
And at the bottom of it, 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 it uh, Bazooka Joe, you know, they gave you, I don't know if it was a fortune or whatever it was, but this little bit of wisdom that was there. And it said, learn from other people's mistakes because you're never going to live all, long enough to make all of them yourself. And I thought, that's a good, you know, that's, I don't want to make all of them myself. So what we're going to do is we look at this, you know, we're going to see and observe how God interacted with some of the people, even through some of their mistakes. And we're going to see what we can learn and how we can better live as God's people in this world right now. And really, that's the best way to live. The best way to live is as God's people. We sometimes forget about that. So uh, to get a better grip on this and the aspects of Abraham's life, and then we're going to get more out of chapter 23. It's interesting because chapter 23, 24, and then it's pretty much done with Abraham um, in Genesis for the most part. But anyway, we're going to look. If you look, if you're back in, in chapter 11 there, you'll see this is there's the the genealogies if you have the king james this is part of the begat passages you know or so and so begat so and so and so and so begat well here um what we're told is is here is that uh you know terah begat abraham abram it says uh abram was the son he was born to terah now a few verses later it simply tells us uh that abraham's wife was named sarai now I take great comfort in, in that because there wasn't a real big, big deal made out of it. And it just gives me great comfort that my proposal to Ginny was, you know, we can get married if you want to. And, you know, that, so here they're married now, uh, you know, his wife. And we're told then a little bit later, it says that Sarah was unable to conceive. Now, this was a very big deal in their society. Uh, to have children was a huge thing. To not have children was a huge thing because you see they didn't do it by choice what happened there is when somebody didn't have children childlessness was seen as a judgment or a curse from god as by god's people but even beyond that what you don't see part of here is uh, terah uh, abram's father as well as abram when he started was an idol worshiper they were not worshipers of god uh, God got a hold of them, and God was simply one of the gods at that point that they were worshiping. And they actually started out as polytheists here and idol worshipers. Uh, the first significant steps we see in Abram's relationship with God comes in chapter 12. If you, uh, you can follow along there, it'll be on the screen for you. Uh, it says, you know, the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those uh, who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that he had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land uh, to the side of Shechem at the Oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now what we have here, we see Abraham is called by God to leave the land of his birth. 
You know, he was called to leave home, if you will, and travel to Canaan, a land he didn't know, and travel to this land that God would show him. What we see here, you know, is God's promise. Notice he says that he will show Abram a new land, and he also tells him that he will make Abram into a great nation. He says that Abram will be blessed by God. All the people on earth will be blessed through Abram, and he will get this land. In response, Abram builds an altar right there to commemorate his interaction with God in the new land. That's kind of a neat picture when you begin to remember how many times things like that happened where they interacted with God and they built an altar. They interacted with God, they would build an altar. And what you have is God's people continue to dot the land here that they're going to possess with the altars commemorating important encounters with God before they actually came to possess that land. So before they, before they came to possess it, they were, they were all, you know, scattered throughout the promised land. All of these spots and altars where they had an encounter with God commemorated that way. Now we also see here Abraham's obedience to God and it mentions that he is now 75 years old. 75 years old and he and Sarai uh, still have no children. No one to fulfill the promise of inhabiting the land. Now, from a human standpoint, from a human vantage point, it seems that this promise to Abraham would die with Abraham because there were no offspring. Now, I noticed here as I was looking at this, you know, Abraham didn't make excuses. He obeyed God. That's one of the things we need to do. You know, we need to obey God and not make excuses. We need to obey him. Abram didn't make excuses. He didn't say, you know, I don't want to leave home. He didn't say, you know, but, but uh, you know, there, there are no kids here. You know, he, he, didn't, he, he said he, what he did is he obeyed God. Now, after many more years go by, God makes clear to Abram, you know, that Abram and Sarai themselves will have a son. Now, we're told in chapter 15, it says, Abram believed the Lord and credited to him his righteousness. He also said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So after many years, after that first promise, he reminds him of this promise here, that land to possess. But the important part here in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. Paul brings this up and showing and pointing back to the faith that Abraham had and the faith that he walked in. You know, two very important statements. You know, a statement about Abram's faith in God here. Now notice, it's not just that he believed in God. He believed God. Now there's a difference. People can say, I believe in God. You know, the, the scripture even tells us, and James says, you know, that, that the, the devil believes in the reality of God. It says, and shudders, because he doesn't believe God. There's a difference between, you know, believing in and, 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 and believing what God says. It's more than just believing that God exists. It's believing that God is God. And here's the picture you have there of that. And then it's followed by that statement reminding Abram about the promise to receive the land. Still no children. 
Now, if you do a quick glance through chapter 16 and you look at the headings there, if your Bible has those, it tells us how Abram and Sarai trying to fulfill this promise by stepping outside of God's will and having Sarai's handmaiden, Hagar, serve as a surrogate. And she bears a son called Ishmael. God made very clear that that was not acceptable. That wasn't what he had in mind. That isn't how it was going to happen. And then 24 years after the promise was made in chapter 12, in God's timing, God reminds Abram again of the promise and the calling. In chapter 17, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, we went from 75 to 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. And will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. This is, you see here, this is when God changed, changed Abram's name from Abram, which means exalted father or father or the father is exalted. He changed that to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude or father of many. Now, a few verses later, God changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Both of them mean princess. A princess. And uh, 24 years, though, 24 years had gone by since the promise. And now Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 89 years old and still no children. This would be cruel if it were not for God, the one who is making the promise. Because they are well beyond the years. In fact, they even, they even bring that up. But three important points for us to grasp from this passage regarding moving forward in faith. One is that the Lord will do as he promised. Oh, it's because I'm ahead of myself. 89, well, let's read this. It says, the Lord came, this is the one you have to, three things to grab from. Uh, the Lord, the good thing I have these overheads. Uh, the Lord, overhead shows you how old I am. Uh, let's quit interrupting me. The Lord came to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Now Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abram named the son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abram circumcised him as God had commanded him. There's a great phrase for you there, as God had commanded him. Abram was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abram that Sarah would nurse children and I have born a son for him? In his old age. Isaac, the promised son, is born. Abram is 100. 
Sarah is 90. Now, three important things to grasp from this passage looking at it. One is that the Lord will do what he has promised. That's what it says right there. You know, that, that in the very first verse, he had said that the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The Lord will do what he has promised. The Lord does not make rash promises. He does not speak first and then try to figure things out later. God will keep his word. God will do what he said he will do. And he will do it. In second, in second Corinthians, it says, for every one of God's promises, Every one of them is yes in him. Therefore, the young man is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. Every single one of the, every single thing God said he will do. Now, Abraham and Sarah tried to fulfill God's promise to them on their own using Hagar as a surrogate. And God showed them. God said, no, he would fulfill his promise to them and with them, a child of their own. And he did. Which brings us to the next point to grasp from this Genesis 21 passage. And that's, you know, it says they're at the appointed time. God's time is best and will prevail. It should prevail. It says, you know, right, right there in verse two, you know, that at the appointed time, God's timing is best. We struggle with this one because we have, we've all had those times when we wish God would act right now. Not later. Right now. Right now is when we want Him to do this. Like we have a better timing than He does. Right now, this would be a good time, God. You know, this would be a really good time to have a policeman stop that guy because he's irritating me. Thought that one about six times a day. Uh, you know, it's, our thought, you know, th- that, that's our thought. Our thought is on the best time. But faith realizes that God's timing is best and will prevail. Peter gives us an idea of why. For part of it, it says the Lord does not delay his promise. He doesn't delay his promise. As some understand delay. He's patient with you. Well, wait a second. I thought we were looking at other people. He's patient with you, and it's a good thing, because otherwise we'd have been all been post-toasties. You know, we'd have been smoked. We'd have been, you know. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. It's much better that God's timing prevails rather than mine. And the third thing here is, you know, that while you're waiting, do as God commands. That's what it says. You know, that he did, he did as, you know, he did as God commanded him. Abraham did as God commanded him. You know, while you, while you, you know, live out his word now, live in his word now, even while you're waiting, because what we see is waiting, God sees as part of, part of the deal of obedience, part of the process, part of that commitment lived out to him. You know, live in his word. Now, these are the things Abraham lived through, and they apparently helped him what he faced in chapter 23. So now we're in chapter 23. This is 37 years. In chapter 23, we are 37 years after Isaac's birth. So we're 37 years from what we just looked at here in chapter 21. Between chapter 21 and chapter 23, we have 37 years that have gone by. Now, look in your Bible, follow along in the Bible. This is not going to be on the screen, but it's in the Bible. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. 
Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. This is how you can tell we're in the Old Testament. There's a funeral. Uh, verse 3 says, Then Abram got up from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. I'm a foreign resident among you. Give me a burial site among you so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen to us, Lord. You are God's chosen one among us. Bury your dead in our finest burial place. None of us will withhold from you his burial place for you burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing for me to bury my dead, listen to me, and ask Ephron, of Zohar, son of Zoar, on my behalf to give me the cave of Machpelah that belongs to him. It is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me in your presence for the full price as a burial place. Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. So in the presence of all the Hittites who came to the gate of his city, Ephron the Hittite answered Abram, No, my lord, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Verse 12, Abram bowed down to the people of the land and said to Ephron in the presence of the people of the land, Please listen to me. Let me pay the price of the field. Accept it from me, and let me bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham and said to him, My lord, listen to me. Land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed with Ephron, and Abraham weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had agreed in the presence of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver at the current commercial rate. So Ephron's field at Machpelah near Mamre, uh, the field with its cave and all of the trees anywhere within the boundaries of the field became Abraham's possession in the presence of all the Hittites who came to the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field with its caves passed from the Hittites to Abraham as a burial place. Now, as you're reading through, this almost seems like an odd, maybe an even out-of-place chapter. You know, it's good for a little history, but what does it have to do with us? We meet Abraham in this chapter in the midst of his grief. His wife, Sarah, the one that he had done so much life with, the one that was alongside him as he learned so much about God, the mother of his son of promise, the son of his old age. This woman was now gone from this earth, you know, departed her earthly tent. Now, some of you are all too aware that this is one of the most stressful events you can ever face in life. Some people never recover from this. Some people enter into such a profound grief that they never recover and actually die within a short time of their spouse's death. It's just a medical fact. This is a time in life when it's hard to continue on. A time when you just may not care. You know, that it just doesn't matter to you. Purpose in life has left. Added to that here is the difficulty that Abraham is still a foreigner, an alien in this land that God had promised to give him and to his descendants. He didn't even have a place to properly bury his wife. 
Now, it seems, you know, before God gave the land to his people, God gave this reminder to Abraham that we are all aliens and strangers in this world. You know, we have a home here, but this world is not our home. It is not the place he has for us. David realized that years later, even after they had possessed the land, even after David was raised to a place of prominence and after he, you know, it seemed that he had, in a sense, the world at his feet. And he's getting near the end of his reign and he's collecting money so that they can build the temple. And it wasn't going to, he was told it wasn't going to be him that would build it, but his son, this grand temple. And things were on a real high there as far as the, the, the uh, people of Israel are called. And after they, after they're there and they take this collection, this is what we read. This is part of David's prayer. He says, for we live before you as foreigners. Temporary residence in your presence, as we and all our ancestors, our days on earth are like a shadow and without hope. This is coming from the man who was at the pinnacle of the world at that point. And had all, had not only all of this before, but he was leaving on a high note. He was leaving where they were, where they were collecting all these funds and this grand temple was going to be built by his son and what a great thing to pass on. Now, the writer of Hebrews pulls us back into Abraham's mindset here. It says, by faith he stayed, Abraham that is. He stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking beyond where he was. Not just Abraham, but Sarah. It goes on. It continues. She was living by faith as well. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past age, since she was, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. Many of God's people went through this life. And the 11th chapter of Hebrews names many of them. And they faced struggles and sometimes grief, deep grief and pain with the fact you know, that it came, in fact, because they knew that this life is not the final card that God is going to play. It's not the final card in God's hand concerning our life. And they knew that he is faithful. It tells us again in Hebrews 13, all of them died in faith without receiving the final promise, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Even as God's people, you know, when we are here, we are troubled by grief. We are not exempt. Coming to a relationship with Christ does not mean that you, that you get to sidestep all of these things. And we see Abraham here in, in Genesis 23, you know, and, and he's there with it, and he had that relationship with God. But knowing God, having a relationship with him, having a strong faith does not mean we will avoid grief. 
And it doesn't mean that our grief isn't real. We still have those connections. You see, what faith does is faith pulls us towards God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Even in the midst of deep grief, it pulls us toward God. And this is what we see here in how Abraham handles this situation. He is pulled toward God in this situation where it seems that he, that this was never going to be fulfilled, that they promised, you know, it was no longer going to die with him because he had one son. The beginning of that promise that his people would inhabit this land. This seems like such a strange scenario to us as he is trying to get this burial plot for his wife. You know, Abraham asked to buy the cave. The owner then is sitting right there. They did it, it says at the city gate, because that was the place where they did business. This was the official place of business. And so what was going on is the owner then offers Abraham not only the cave. Abraham was, Abraham was looking only for the cave. And the guy offers him not only the cave, did you notice, but the, the field as well. And seemingly for free. You can have this, he says. You know, you can have it for free. What, what this event is, is the normal Bedouin purchase transaction that's what you see here the guy lays out the price of the field and what seems to be offering it to abraham you know for free the land and the cave he was actually setting the price he said abraham just asked for the cave he says buddy it, it, you know this is just a translation here you want the cave yeah, i'm not just giving you the cave you're getting the, the field too you want to get the cave you're gonna have to buy the field you want the house you're gonna have to buy the land you know and, and so he says you know it's 400 shekels he lays that price out there when he says, what is that between me and you? Why mention the price? You see, Abraham understood that because it says, then Abraham agreed to that price and he weighed out the 400 shekels. Now, historians who research these documents, not just the Bible, but other historical documents, they say that 400 shekels of silver was an exorbitant price. Not just a high price. It was a wildly, outrageously high price for them to pay. Yet notice what Abraham does he buys it. Now it seems foolish to us, but this was the only piece of land Abraham ever owned in the promised land that God had promised to give him and his descendants. This is the only patch of ground he ever owned there. He buries his wife, Sarah, Later, it also became the burial site for Abraham and the burial site for Isaac and for Rebekah, for Jacob and for Leah. This was a big step for Abraham here. You know, he was a man of faith. And during his lifetime, even though he was a man of faith, he lied more than once about Sarah being his wife because he was afraid of what might happen to him. That doesn't sound like such a step of faith to me. He agreed, we looked briefly, he agreed with his wife to produce a promised offspring with a servant instead of his wife, Sarah, a little wobbly in the faith department, it seems. You know, God promised Abraham the land to him and his descendants, and this was the first step, an overly inflated burial plot. We erroneously think God will always give us a good deal to us, meaning a good price. And we use that to judge whether or not this was God moving. If it's a good price, and I'll know it's from God. 
Because, see, what we're looking for is the good deal there. You know, meaning a cheap price. I think God would have us step out in faith rather than strictly depending on economics. He is pulling Abraham deeper in faith. He pulls us deeper in faith. For Abraham, that step of faith was a burial plot. Not a large tract of land, not a ranch, not even a home, only a burial plot. One small step into the promised land, that land that, that, land that was promised to him by God. And he stepped into the future not based on a good deal, but based on the faith that God is God and that he will accomplish what is promised. Here's the lesson, I think, for us today, you know, from this episode. God's people learn to live by God's faithfulness. Even when we hurt, sometimes slowly, sometimes painfully, one step at a time, but it's best to live by God's faithfulness through our circumstances rather than by our own ideas. When we learn that our future is best when we yield to his word, to his directions, to his faithfulness. Obey God without excuse. You know, believe God more than believing in God. Not just that he's out there, but believe him in what he says and in who he is. Live knowing that God will do what he promised. You know, in his timing, which was always best, and continue to live by his commands. Be pulled towards him. Learn to live in faith in God and in his faithfulness. Let's pray.